Section 23 of the Underground Railroad, Part 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. The Underground Railroad, Part 2, by William Still. Section 23. From Virginia, Maryland, Delaware, North Carolina, Washington, D.C., and South Carolina. Part 1. In order to keep this volume within due limits, in the cases to be noticed in this chapter, it will be impossible to state more than a few of the interesting particulars that make up these narratives. While some of these passengers might not have been made in the prison house to drink of the bitter cup as often as others, and in their flight might not have been called upon to pass through as severe perils as fell to the lot of others, nevertheless justice seems to require that as far as possible all the passengers passing over the philadelphia underground railroad shall be noticed james burrell james was certainly justifiable in making his escape if for no other reason than on the score of being nearly related to the chivalry of the south he was a mulatto the son of a white man evidently about thirty-two years of age medium size and of agreeable appearance he was owned by a maiden lady who lived at williamsburg but not requiring his services in her own family she hired him out by the year to a mr john walker a manufacturer of tobacco for which she received a hundred and twenty dollars annually this arrangement was not satisfactory to james he could not see why he should be compelled to wear the yoke like an ox. The more he thought over his condition, the more unhappy was his lot, until at last he concluded that he could not stand slavery any longer. He had witnessed a great deal of the hardships of the system of slavery, and he had quite enough intelligence to portray the horrors thereof in very vivid colors. It was the auction-block horror that first prompted him to seek freedom. While thinking how he would manage to get away safely, his wife and children were ever present in his mind. He felt as a husband should towards his wife Betsy, and likewise loved his children, Walter and Mary. But these belonged to another man, who lived some distance in the country, where he had permission to see them only once a week. This had its pleasure, but it also had its painful influence. The weekly partings were a never-failing source of unhappiness. So when James's mind was fully made up to escape from slavery, he decided that it would not be best to break the secret to his poor wife and children, but to get off to Canada and afterwards to try and see what he could do for their deliverance. The hour fixed to leave Virginia arrived, and he started and succeeded in reaching Philadelphia and the committee on arriving he needed medicine clothing food and a carriage for his accommodation all which were furnished freely by the committee and he was duly forwarded to canada from canada with his name changed he wrote as follows toronto march twenty eighth eighteen fifty four sir mr still it does me pleasure to forward you this letter hoping when this comes to hand it may find your family well as it leaves me at present 
I will also say that the friends are well. Allow me to say to you that I arrived in this place on Friday last safe and sound, and feels well under my safe arrival. It is true that I have not been employed as yet, but I lives hopes to be at work very shortly. I likes this city very well, and I am in hopes that they are living here for me, as much so as they are for anyone else. You will be pleased to write. I am boarding at Mr. Phillips's Center Street. I have nothing more at present. Yours most respectful, W. Boral. Daniel Wiggins, alias Daniel Robinson Daniel fled from Norfolk, Virginia, where he had been owned by the late Richard Scott. Only a few days before Daniel escaped, his so-called owner was summoned to his last account. While ill, just before the close of his career, he often promised D. his freedom, and also promised, if restored, that he would make amends for the past by changing his ways of living. His son, who was very reckless, he would frequently allude to, and declared that he, the son, should not have his property. These dying sentiments filled Daniel with great hopes that the day of his enslavement was nearly at an end. Unfortunately, however, death visited the old master ere he had made provision for his slaves. At all events, no will was found. That he might not fall prey to the reckless son, he felt that he must nerve himself for a desperate struggle to obtain his freedom in some other way, by travelling on the Underground Railroad. While he had always been debarred from book-learning, he was nevertheless a man of some intelligence, and by trade was a practical corker. He was called upon in this trying hour to leave his wife with three children, but they were fortunately free. Coming to the committee in want, they cheerfully aided him and forwarded him on to Canada. Thence, immediately on his arrival, he returned the following grateful letter. New Bedford, Massachusetts, March twenty-second, 1854. Dear Sir, I am happy to inform you that I arrived in this place this morning, well and cheerful. I am, sir, to you and others under more obligations for your kindly protection of me than I can in any way express at present. May the Lord preserve you unto eternal life. Remember my respects to Mr. Lundy and family. Should the boat lay up, please let me know. Yours respectfully, David Robinson. Please forward to Dr. H. Lundy after you have gotten through. With respects, etc., D.R. William Robinson, alias Thomas Harrod. William gave satisfactory evidence at first sight that he was opposed to the unrequited labor system in toto, and even hated still more the flogging practices of the chivalry. Although he had reached his twenty-eighth year, and was a truly fair specimen of his race, considering his opportunities, a few days before William left, the overseer on the plantation attempted to flog him, but did not succeed. William's manhood was aroused, and he flogged the overseer, soundly if what he averred was true. The name of William's owner was John G. Beale, Esquire, of Fouquier County, Virginia. Beale was considered to be a man of wealth, and had invested in slave stock to the number of seventy head. According to William's account of Beale, he was a hard man, and thought no more of his black people than he did of dogs. 
when william entered upon the undertaking of freeing himself from beale's barbarism he had but one dollar and twenty-five cents in his possession but he had physical strength and a determined mind and being heartily sick of slavery he was willing to make the trial even at the cost of life thus hopeful he prosecuted his journey with success through strange regions of country with but little aid or encouragement before reaching philadelphia this feat however was not performed without getting lost by the way on arriving his shoes were gone and his feet were severely travel-worn the committee rendered needed aid etc and sent william on to canada to work for himself and to be recognized as a subject of great britain edward peden and wife harriet and sister celia this man and his wife and wife's sister were a nice-looking trio but they brought quite a sad story with them the sale of their children six in number the auction block had made such sad havoc among them that no room was left to hope that their situation would ever be improved by remaining indeed they had been under a very gloomy cloud for some time previous to leaving fearing that the auction block was shortly to be their doom to escape this fate they were constrained to secret themselves for one month until an opportunity offered them to secure a passage on a boat coming to philadelphia edward the husband was about forty-four years of age of a dark color well made full face pleasant countenance and talked fluently dr price claimed him as his personal property and exacted all his hire and labor for twelve years he had been hired out for one hundred dollars per annum harriet the wife of edward belonged to david baines of norfolk her general appearance indicated that nature had favored her physically and mentally although being subjected to the drudgery of slave life with no advantages for development she was simply a living testimony to the crushing influence of slavery with a heart never free from the saddened recollection of the auction block on which all of her children had been sacrificed one by one celia the sister also belonged to d baines and was kept hired out was last in the service of the mayor of norfolk of her story nothing of any moment was recorded on their arrival in philadelphia as usual they were handed over to the committee and their wants were met william davis all that the records contain of william is as follows he left emmitsburg maryland the previous friday night where he had been held by dr james shul william is thirty-two years of age dark color rather below medium stature with regard to his slave life he declared that he had been roughly used besides for some time before escaping he felt that his owner was in the notion of trading him off the fear that this apprehended notion would be carried into execution was what prompted him to leave his master alexander boggs alias johnson henson this subject was under the ownership of a certain john ernie who lived about three miles from baltimore mr ernie had only been in possession of the wayward alexander three weeks having purchased him of a trader named dennett for five hundred and fifty dollars 
This was not the first time, however, that he had experienced the trouble of changing masters, in consequence of having been sold. Previously to his being disposed of by the trader Dennett, he had been owned by Senator Merrick, who had the misfortune to fail in business, in consequence whereof his slaves had all to be sold, and Alexander with the rest, away from his wife Caroline and two children, James and Eleazar. This was a case that appealed for sympathy and aid, which were cheerfully rendered by the committee. Alexander was about fifty years of age, of dark color. On the records no account of cruel treatment is found, other than being sold, etc. John Brown, alias Jacob Williams, arrived from Frederickstown, Maryland, where he had been working under the yoke of Joseph Postley. John was a young man of twenty-nine years of age. Up to the hour of his escape his lot had been that of an ordinary slave. Indeed, he had much less to complain of with reference to usage than most slaves. The only thing in this respect the records contain is simply a charge that his master threatened to sell him. But this did not seem to have been the motive which prompted John to take leave of his master. Although untutored, he had mind enough to comprehend that Postley had no right to oppress him, and wrong him out of his hire. John concluded that he would not stand such treatment any longer, and made up his mind to leave for Canada. After due examination, the committee, finding his story reasonable, gave him the usual assistance, advice, and instruction, and sent him on Canada-ward. Samuel Slater, alias Patterson Smith, came from a place called Power Bridge, Maryland. He gave a satisfactory account of himself, and was commended for having wisely left his master, William Martin, to earn his bread by the sweat of his own brow. Martin had held up the vision of the auction block before Sam. This was enough. Sam saw that it was time for him to be getting out of danger's way without delay. So he presumed if others could manage to escape, he could too. And he succeeded. He was a stout man about twenty-nine years of age, of dark complexion. No particular mention of ill-treatment is found on the records. After arriving in Canada, his heart turned with deep interest and affection to those left in the prison-house, as the following letter indicates. St. Catharines, October 29th. My dear friend, yours of the 15th came to hand, and I was glad to hear from you, and your dear family were well, and the reason that I did not write sooner I expected get a letter from my brother in Pennsylvania, but I have not received any as yet. When I wrote last, I directed my letter to Philip Scott, minister of the Asbury Church, Baltimore, and that was the reason that I thought it strange I did not get an answer, but I did not put my brother's name to it. I made arrangements before I left home with a family of Smiths that I was to write to, and the letter that I enclose in this I want you to direct it to D. Philip Scott in his care for Mrs. Cassie Jackson, Duke Jackson's wife and she will give to Priana Smith or Sarah Jane Smith, those are the persons I wish to write to. I wish you to write on as quick as you can, and let them know that there is a lady coming on by the name of Mrs. Hollinsworth, and she will call and see you, and you will find her a very interesting and intelligent person, 
one worthy of respect and esteem and a high reputation. I must now bring my letter to a close, no more at present, but remain your humble servant, Patterson Smith. In my letters I did not write to my friends how they shall write to me, but in the letter that you write you will please tell them how they shall write to me. Harrison Bell and Daughter Harriet Ann Father and daughter were fortunate enough to escape together from Norfolk, Virginia. Harrison was just in the prime of life, forty years of age, stout made, good features, but in height was rather below medium, was a man of more than ordinary shrewdness. By trade he was a chandler. He alleged that he had been used hard. Harriet Ann was a well-grown girl of pleasant appearance, fourteen years of age. Father and daughter had each different owners. One belonged to James Snyder, the other to John G. Hodgson. Harrison had been informed that his children were to be sold. To prevent this shocking fate, he was prompted to escape. Several months previous to finding a chance to make a safe flight, he secreted himself with his children in Norfolk, and so remained, up to the day he left, a passage having been secured for them on one of the boats coming to Philadelphia. While the records contain no definite account of other children, it is evident that there were others, but what became of them is not known. If at the time of their arrival it had been imagined that the glorious day of universal freedom was only about eight years off, doubtless much fuller records would have been made of these struggling underground railroad passengers. If Harrison's relatives and friends, who suddenly missed him and his daughter Harriet Ann in the spring of 1854, are still ignorant of his whereabouts, this very brief account of their arrival in Philadelphia may be of some satisfaction to all concerned, not excepting his old master, whom he had served so faithfully. The committee, finding them in need, had the pleasure of furnishing them with food, material aid, and a carriage, with cheering words and letters of introduction to friends on the road to Canada. Daniel Davis, alias David Smith, Adam Nicholson, alias John Wincoop, Reuben Bowles, alias Cunnigan, arrived from Hedgeville, Virginia. Daniel was only about twenty, just at a capital age to make a bold stroke for freedom. The appearance and air of this young aspirant for liberty indicated that he was not of the material to be held in chains. He was a man of medium size, well-built, dark color, and intelligent. Honorable Charles J. Fortner, M.C., was the reputed owner of this young fugitive but the honorable gentleman having no use for his services, or because he may have profited more by hiring him out, Daniel was placed in the employ of a farmer by the name of Adam Quigley. It was at this time he resolved that he would not be a slave any longer. He declared that Quigley was a very mean man, one for whom he had no respect whatever. Indeed, he felt that the system of slavery was an abomination in any form it might be viewed. While he was yet so young, he had pretty clear views with regard to slavery, and remembered with feelings of deep indignation how his father had been sold when he himself was just a boy, just as a horse might have been sold, and how his mother was dragging her chains in slavery up to the hour he fled. 
thus in company with his two companions he was prepared for any sacrifice adam's tale is soon told all that is on the old record in addition to his full name is the following words adam is dark rugged and sensible and was owned by alexander hill a drunkard gambler etc reuben had been hired out to john sabbard near hedgeville startled at hearing that he was to be sold he was led to consider the propriety of seeking flight via the underground railroad these three young men were all fine specimens of farm hands and possessed more than average common sense considering the oppression they had to labor under they walked the entire distance from hedgeville virginia to greenville pennsylvania there they took the cars and walked no more they appeared travel-worn garments dirty and forlorn but the committee had them cleanly washed hair cut and shaved change of clothing furnished etc which at once made them look like very different men means were appropriated to send them on free of cost end of section twenty three